Each and every one of you, a very good morning once again. I'm so glad that you uh, can join us for our uh, Sunday morning service here in the sanctuary. Or Some of you, I think, uh, can't be here physically, but you're joining us through the live stream, and we're grateful for that as well. You know, uh, years ago, and I, I date myself because, uh, you know, it was a popular song when I was a young man. <laughs> uh, Don Henley, who was one of the founders of the Eagles, uh, came up with a song entitled The Heart of the Matter. And, you know, it's a poignant song. I remember coming across it again in 2000s, I think, when they had a reunion and they, they had a nice acoustic set. But the song itself has words that really, I, I think, captured my um, imagination. The story is set as if, you know, he, uh, someone tells him about a lost love, don't know whether it was an ex-girlfriend or ex-wife, seems to have found a new relationship, you know, and brought up all the old feelings. And then in the end, in the chorus, he says, you know, uh, when I get down to the heart of the matter, my will gets weak and my thoughts seem to scatter, but it's, I think it's about forgiveness, forgiveness. And even if you don't love me anymore, you know, forgiveness is at the heart of what he understands uh, is as important for our human existence. And mind you, Don Henley is not a Christian as far as I know. <laughs> He's not speaking from a Christian perspective, but just from a, 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 an observation of human life. You know, and today we are looking at this passage from Matthew 18. You know, I always find it amazing how the Lord, uh, in His own way, um, um, continues to superintend His Word, not just by inspiring it, but like uh, for us as Anglicans, we have uh, something called a lectionary where there are readings laid out so that over the course of three years, if you follow the lectionary readings, you cover the whole sweep of Scripture. Yeah, that's why in uh, Anglican services, we read Old Testament, New Testament, and then uh, the Gospels. And actually, if we were really true Anglicans, we would have done a psalm as well. <laughs> you know, and and uh, you get really the full sweep of Scripture. But in uh, this passage... Obviously, the thing that Jesus needs to address is the whole issue of forgiveness. And you see that Peter asked this question, how many times, Lord, do we need to forgive? Understanding the context, if uh, we had been following through this, you would see earlier on Jesus uh, addressed this question. He says in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. It's a very famous passage. You know, we in the clergy ranks of the Anglican uh, Diocese in Singapore have been looking at this because uh, we have been contemplating church discipline. And out of it uh, uh, has come a code of conduct which is making its way through the processes that eventually all of us have to agree to. But you know, if you understand the context, you'll see why did Peter ask the question of forgiveness? Because when Jesus talked about this uh, matter of how let's sort out disagreements, let's sort out when someone has been sinned against and do it in this manner, the whole purpose was not discipline, but actually reconciliation. How do you keep the unity of the body of Christ? And so we come back to this passage in verse 21. Peter asked seven times, right? He was trying to uh, exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees because rabbinical teaching uh, in Jesus' day was that 
you can forgive a person up to three times. Number four, you strike out, okay? So it's four strikes and you're out. <laughs> and uh, so Peter is like, oh, seven times, you know, I'm even better than uh, what the rabbis teach. But Jesus says to him, wrong question, Peter, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, if you look at different translations, some say 77, some say 70 times 7. It's because the language isn't quite clear, but it doesn't matter because it's a Hebraic way. 70 times 7 or 77 is, uh, you know, perfection times perfection. In other words, it's, it's a Hebraic way of expressing infinity. And even if you were to keep the math, right, after, you know, how many times they've sinned against you, you will lose count at some point. <laughs> before, long before you get to 77 or 490, irrespective of which number is correct. The idea that Jesus is bringing across is that forgiveness needs to be offered with no conditions in that sense, with no limitations. So then we go on to see the parable that Jesus speaks about uh, this principle in the parable of the unmerciful servant, right? You know the story well. We read it earlier. This uh, servant who obviously, you know, um, must be quite high up in the hierarchy had borrowed 10,000 talents from the king. And, you know, he's being asked to pay back. Now, I don't know if you understand the um, currency of the day. 10,000, one talent is equivalent to basically 20 years of wages. The wages were calculated, one denarii equals one day's wage. So one talent equals 20 years of wages. How many years of wages does 10,000 talents equal to? 200,000. <laughs> More than a lifetime, right? You can't even begin to imagine the fortune that I, I don't know how is it he could have borrowed that amount of money. But that's the case in which he was finding himself. And so in verse 26, he's pleading with the king, have patience with me, I will pay back everything. This guy has no grip on reality. <laughs> I don't know how many lifetimes you have to live to try and pay back a sum like that. If any of you have ever been in debt, you know how impossible it is you know, talk about a smaller sum like 10, 20, 100,000. It takes forever to pay back, especially, you know, if our wages are limited. But you talk about this kind of debt, it's unpayable. And in a sense, what we see here is this expression that grace is scandalous because he was forgiven this debt. You know, I know some people talk about this uh, concept of hypergrace, and I understand where, where they are coming from, but I don't like that term because it implies as if there is some kind of limit on grace. Grace, if it's truly grace, is hyper-grace. That God doesn't limit Himself. He is limitless in that sense. But the story then goes on and we see that ultimately this guy forgets his debt, forgets what had happened. So in verse 28, we see that he is um, uh, confronts a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii, hundred days worth of wages, right? One uh, third of our annual salary, if you wanted to think in those terms. And he says to him, pay back. And the guy, you know, says the exact same thing uh, to 
um, let me see if I got it up here. You know, uh, he was forgiven the debt. Um, verse 28 there. He says the exact same thing that this uh, um, servant had uh, said to the king. He says, have patience with me. I will pay you. I don't know about you. This seems very doable, isn't it? It's possible. But to show the heart of this servant, his response was, nope, I'm putting you in prison until you pay the debt. Now, that does not compute. How is he supposed to earn anything in prison to repay the debt? In other words, he wasn't even concerned about getting the money back. He wanted his pound of flesh, so to speak. He wanted justice to be served in his mind. Jesus then uh, uh, gives an idea of what is uh, at the heart of this lesson that he's trying to teach. Right? And, and, and pick it up from verse 33. It says, Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The king says to this uh, uh, unmerciful servant. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. And the punchline is this. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That this principle, uh, uh, Christian principle, that guides us in terms of forgiveness is that we forgive as we have been forgiven. You know, um, in uh, the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 3, Paul tells the Colossian church, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And you know, that's where all Christian virtue stems from, right? We love as we have been loved. We forgive as we have been forgiven. But if we really think about it, you know, forgiveness is something that's very easy to talk about. But when it comes down to uh, real life, it's very difficult to do, isn't it? Many of us struggle with it on so many different levels. We know that Christianity at its very heart is about forgiveness, right? It, it, it's so obvious if uh, we were doing a morning prayer service, we would do the Apostles' Creed, and there's a line in there that says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. It's a no-brainer. But when it comes down to it, it's not so easy to act up. As I was preparing for this sermon, I came across an essay by C.S. Lewis written towards the end of his life. And, you know, so it's, it's a year's worth of reflection on this Christian topic. And I found it quite helpful uh, to reflect on it. And one of the things he said in his essay was to make a distinguish, uh, 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 to distinguish between what it means to forgive, and what it means to excuse. Right? To forgive, ultimately, is a word of judgment. It's a, a word of law when you say to someone, I forgive you. Which is why it's not always pleasant that someone comes up to you and says to you, I forgive you. Which is why I always advise people, if you want to forgive someone, find an, a, a right time to sit down and, and deal with it. Right? Just stepping up to a person and say to you, I forgive you, <laughs> is not always a welcome message because there is an implication of that there has been sin that needs to be forgiven. 
And we are not always ready to hear that word. I think that's why um, um, one of the questions in I, I was teaching last week, uh, my, my, one of my past uh, parishes, they asked me to do one CE session over Zoom. And a question came up, you know, how do you speak to non-Christians about forgiveness? Because most non-Christians don't want to accept the fact that we are sinners. <laughs> right? That's why what we think is such a, a, a wonderful message of forgiveness, some people have great difficulty accepting. Because to accept forgiveness is to accept that we are sinners. So it's a word of judgment. But what C.S. Lewis talks about is that so often as Christians, the line between to forgive and to excuse gets blurred. What do I mean? Now, I know when we talk about excuses, oftentimes we talk, think in terms of excuses that are unjustifiable. That you're just making an excuse for your behavior. But if you stop and you really think about the word, and he, he defines it in this way, you know that an excuse is, is not uh, unjustifiable. It's extenuating circumstances that lead us to a particular situation. But Lewis says, so often as Christians, we, instead of asking God to forgive us, we want Him to excuse us. <laughs> and let me uh, pass out the difference, okay? Forgiveness basically says, yes, you have done this thing and I accept your apology, I'll hold it against you and everything. I'll never hold it against you. And everything between us goes back to zero again. Let's start afresh. Right? That's what a word of forgiveness absolute, uh, ultimately means. And excusing of a person is something different because it basically says, I see you couldn't help it. Or the circumstances were such that, you know, I can't really blame you. <laughs> Fault doesn't really lie with you. And, you know, if you begin to uh, think through this, if you have a perfect excuse, really there's no need for forgiveness. Because the circumstances were there presented. Now, now I'm saying that sometimes it doesn't offend, but the, the problem is this. When we ask God for forgiveness, so often many of us Ultimately, what we are asking Him for is for God to accept our excuses. You know, and, and, and in our minds, I, we often think to ourselves, actually, I'm not at fault. It was my upbringing. It was uh, the past. Did you see how that person treated me? Of course, I responded in anger, right? I had that outburst because they drove me to it. And the problem we often find is that we are so satisfied with our own excuses, we tend to absolve ourselves a little bit too easily. But the flip side is that we don't absolve others so easily. That we, are, uh, we struggle to receive excuses that they present us. So what do we need to do? What's the solution? C.S. Lewis points to the fact that we must truly believe in the forgiveness of sins. Truth be told, you know, and I've encountered this in counseling many different Christians. There are many people who still struggle with this uh, message of the grace of God. They struggle with the anxiety that, you know, um, does God really truly forgive me? 
And the guilt of their past or the guilt of the things that they've gone through or they've done continues to have a hold on them. He expresses it this way. I want to use his words because I can't say it any better than he does. He says, A great deal of our anxiety to make excuses comes from not really believing in it, from thinking that God will not take us to himself again unless he is satisfied that some sort of case can be made out in our favor, i.e., you know, I have to uh, be acceptable to God. I have to find a way in which, you know, He will accept me and, and I, I'm pleasing to Him. But that would not be forgiveness as, uh, uh, at all. He continues, Real forgiveness means looking steadily at the sin. The sin that is left over without any excuse after all allowances have been made, and seeing it in all its horror, dirt, meanness, and malice, and nevertheless being wholly reconciled to, that man, to the man who has done it. That, and only that, is forgiveness. And that we can always have from God if we ask for it. You know, at the heart of the matter, I think that's what we really need to hear and we really need to come to terms with. You know, it's impossible in, a, in many ways for us to live without forgiveness. You realize that? Our salvation's at stake. Our life itself is threatened. You see, when we sin or are sinned against, our future is closed by our past. What do I mean? When you fall out with someone, if there is no forgiveness, there is no future in that relationship. Right? The relationship dies without forgiveness. Our past controls any future that may have been. Forgiveness ultimately is the only way to break the impasse. So how do we apply this when we come to forgiving others? We have talked about a lot about God's forgiveness for us. But in forgiving others, in some ways it's the same, but in other ways it is different. How? See, to forgive does not mean to excuse. To forgive means sin is acknowledged. That forgiveness on the flip side of it, or what is implied in the word of forgiveness, is a word of judgment. That there is an acknowledgement that we have sinned if we are to repent and receive forgiveness. I think that's the heart of the message, you know, why Jesus says, not just in, uh, not po just Paul, but Jesus when he taught the Lord's Prayer, remember? Forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. It's basically this understanding that, you know, until and unless there's an acknowledgement of sin, there is no forgiveness. There is no repentance. It's the, we are stopped up on our end. God has no issue with forgiving us. We have an issue to receiving that forgiveness because we won't acknowledge the fact that we need forgiveness. Now, by that token, it does mean when I forgive someone, 
it doesn't mean that I excuse the sin, i.e. I don't excuse the betrayal. I don't excuse the lies. I don't excuse the cheating because it is sin. But what I do is I forgive it. The reality is, even though there's forgiveness, you know, it will take time for the relationship to rebuild because once trust is broken, it's very hard to reestablish again. That's, that's human nature. However, forgiveness is about releasing our resentments, releasing our desire for payback. You know, and that's where the difference also lies in how we deal with excuses. Like I said before, we are often so willing to accept our own excuse, but we struggle with accepting the excuses of others. Now, I'm not saying, you know, frivolous excuses, but taking the time to understand where the other person is coming from, walking in their shoes, knowing their circumstances does change a lot of things. I think that's precisely why Jesus said, you know, when you are sinned against, go to that person directly. I've discussed this at length with my wife. And we find very often, you know, there is a conflict aversion in our culture. Actually, truth be told, it's human nature. Because, you know, it doesn't matter which culture you come from, we, we avoid conflict in different ways. But for us, especially, we, we have a, a problem with someone, very seldom do we want to go speak to them directly. We much rather go talk to everyone else. And the Bible tells us that's not the way to go about it because so often the, the misunderstanding builds from there. We read our own motivations into their motivations sometimes. And, you know, we, we, we tend to think the worst of them in their actions, in the words, in the things that they've done or not done. Instead of clarifying and clearing with them, the, you know, the relationship, the, the purpose, like I said, is to restore a person to relationship, to deal with the sin as, as, is, as you can, so that ultimately we can resolve the matter. And that's the Christian way to deal with disagreements. But you know, if you stop and you think about it, it doesn't matter how much the sin is. Most of us, all of us, myself especially included, we struggle with forgiving them. And this is where sometimes I, I love the lectionary because there are alternate readings throughout Scripture because it's a witness that, you know, uh, uh, runs through the Word of God. I want to take you to some of the passages that were also read because I think the key to forgiveness lies in our understanding of what's happening here. And, and before I get to this, you know, just thinking about this term forgive, the etymology, the, the, the lineage of the word, sort of gives us an idea of how or what we should think of in terms of forgive. To, to forgive, give obviously means to give away or to give up. For in the Old English means far. So to give away completely or to, to give up totally the right for retaliation, the right for revenge, to give up the resentments that are in our hearts. And this is the story of Joseph and his brothers most of you know the story well, how Joseph, as a young man, offended his brothers. The brothers were so angry that they, you know, uh, conspired to sell him into slavery, tore up his beautiful coat, uh, um, put animal blood on it, 
and brought it back to the father and said, oh, he got torn up by an animal and is dead. But instead, sold Joseph into slavery and he had a miserable life for most of his life as a slave in Egypt. No matter what, you, you read the story, whenever he rises to the top, something happens to knock him right back down again. And here at the end of his life, right, uh, a story is told that Jacob, the father, is now dead. And the concern of the brothers, if you uh, saw the reading, was that now payback's going to happen, right? Jacob, while dad is there, he will keep the peace in the home. I mean, we see this in a lot of uh, uh, families, even the most famous families in our land. I don't talk about specific, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, when the old man is gone, suddenly all the hostility comes out. And that's why they came to Joseph and said, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers. They, they couched it. This is your dad's command, okay? Please forgive the sins of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servant of God of your father. <laughs> right? And invoking even God now. <laughs> so hopefully... Joseph's response was to weep. Now, Scripture is silent as to why he wept. Maybe he wept because he thought of all the years he had to live a miserable life. Maybe he wept because these guys still don't trust me even though I've saved them. You know, maybe he wept because the anger and the resentment welled up. Maybe it expressed exactly what he was thinking, and now's my chance to get even. But we see in verse 19 what turned Joseph's heart. Joseph said to them, don't fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The point Joseph was making is this, I am not God, I can't read into your excuses. I can't read the circumstances that you have gone through. Therefore, I will withhold judgment. I'm not the person to judge. Neither am I the person to exact justice upon you. Because, you know, if, if, if we read Shakespeare, exacting the pound of flesh, we can never do it exactly, can we? And fairly. Why human... Uh, um, Vengeance often leads to blood feuds because we don't understand proportionality. We are incapable of doing that. That's precisely why Paul also spoke to the Roman Christians, says to them, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And I think that's the key to us being able to forgive others. A recognition that all of us have sinned. And the forgiveness that we have received was great and totally undeserved. See, forgiving another person is not a matter of whether they deserve forgiveness or not. Because none of us really, truly deserve forgiveness. 
but in Christ. On the cross, this symbol of our faith is a reminder of the forgiveness of God. In a moment, we'll come to the table of our Lord and at the communion table, we're reminded that He paid a debt He did not owe. That I owe a debt I could not pay. And that's why we love because He first loved us. That's why we forgive because He first forgave us. As we come to the table of our Lord, and as we meet with Him in communion, I ask you to consider who is it that you need to forgive? You know, in the communion service, there's an opportunity in which you will be praying the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> you say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And in that moment, as you say those words, release those persons unto the Lord. Release your right to justice. Release your right to pay back. And you know, as we release them, this is the reality. Actually, we are releasing ourselves. Right? Resentment, as someone once said, is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Many people who need our forgiveness can live, you know, blissfully unaware of the fact they've offended us. And we are the ones that have been locked up in prison in that sense because we cannot move beyond our resentment. How often it's not just crippled our relationship with that person, but, you know, because of transference, it starts to cripple our relationship with anyone else who reminds us of that person. And we are locked up in prison. And God wants to set us free. And that freedom comes through that word of forgiveness. So let us this morning release it to the Lord. Receive His freedom, the forgiveness that He gives us freely and enjoy it. And as you enjoy that freedom, release others so that you can really truly be free. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, that when we come to your word, you speak to us so plainly, so often putting a finger on the heart of the matter for each and every one of us. And as we have heard, Lord, first and foremost, we come before you and we confess our sin. The fact that, Lord, we often want to take matters into our own hands, that we want to play God over others. Forgive us of that, Lord. We release them into your hands, knowing that you are a just God and that, Lord, you are able to deal with them as they need to be dealt with far better than any of us could ever do. But Lord, we cry out for your mercy and your grace 
that as we receive your forgiveness, that we will be able also to turn around and release forgiveness over them. Not in a human way, but Lord, with the divine forgiveness that you have given us. We give up, Lord, our right to retaliation. We give up our right to justice. We give up our right to hold a grudge. And Lord, in place, we receive your love right now. Thank you, Lord. We ask and we pray all these things in your son's most precious name. Amen. Church, shall we arise?